Thanks for joining us today for the Eagle Drive Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Chris Thorne. Eagle Drive is a Bible-believing New Testament Baptist Church where Jesus is preeminent and the gospel of grace is at center stage. We are devoted to connecting with God, growing together, serving others, and sharing our faith. If you would like to know more about our ministry, visit eagledrivebaptist.com. Now, here's today's message. Genesis chapter number 22. I'm going to read a familiar story in the Bible to some, uh, maybe not familiar to others. It's a story of Abraham and Isaac, when Abraham went to the mount to offer up his son Isaac. And the past five or six weeks, we've kind of been doing a little mini-series, uh, Thriving Through. And it's been different things that we've been thriving through, or God will enable, enable us to thrive through. So this is kind of the, the final message of that, Thriving Through Life's Greatest Test. Uh, next week, Lord willing, I'm going to be starting a series uh, that the Lord has kind of pressed upon my heart here recently through a devotional that I, I just finished reading. It's called Reset. And basically, it's just sometimes we have to reset, reset our hearts, our minds, our faith to make sure that we're doing what God calls us to do. So I encourage you to be back next week, especially for that. Genesis chapter number 22, though, Genesis chapter number 22. Follow along with me in your Bibles, if you would. We're going to read the first few verses. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. And really what it's talking about is he tested Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, behold, here am I. And he said, Take now thine son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Now, this is very important. So God speaks to Abraham. Isaac was the seed of promise, the one that really all of the nation of Israel was going to come from. So then God asked Abraham to do really the impossible, to offer his son. And this is a great test in the life of Abraham. And we see some very important principles this morning that we're going to hit on. So I really want you to pay attention closely as we look at this message. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. We thank you for this day that you've given us. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us as we study your word this morning for the next few minutes, that you'd help us to see some very important truths, some very important lessons from the life of Abraham in this 22nd chapter in the book of Genesis. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the worship that's gone on today. And Lord, for the spirit. And Lord, I pray that you just help us to have that song in our hearts that we're truly praising your name forever. And Lord, especially when we come to church, help us eliminate the distractions, the difficulties, the, the struggles that are going on around us and just focus on you and your word for a few minutes. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for calling me to this place. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Again, as I said, the past several weeks, we've hit on a series, Thriving Through, and I've opened up a little bit with you all about even some of my own struggles personally, and, and it's something I did not necessarily wanting to, but I feel like the Lord had kind of called me to, to do those things. You know, I can be a very private individual, and I, I don't share them to people feel sorry for me. I, I want people to understand that I'm human, and the same struggles that many of you have are the same struggles that I have and deal with, and you know, I mentioned even last week in our thriving through discontentment that there's been many times in my life where I faced discontentment. And even when I went a couple weeks ago, my wife and I went to, to Myrtle Beach for just a, a couple days. And it was really just a couple moments, really, where I was just so discontented and ready just to be done with everything. But it's in those moments that God often renews me. 
and gives me the strength that I need to go on. And, and he did just that. You know, it's one of those, I had a little pity party for myself and my wife helped me and the Lord helped me kind of get back on track. And, and honestly, I've never been as excited as I am about the future of the church as I am right now. I really believe God is going to do something great in our midst over the next several months and the next year. And I'm really excited about that. But I want you to focus for the next five months in particular. I'm not saying we're going to be here for five months straight. It's not a long message. It's not what I'm saying. But for the next five months, as we close out this year, my goal is to really truly equip us in understanding what it means to thrive. I truly believe it's been a difficult year for many people. Not everyone can attest to that, but many people, it's been a very difficult, very challenging year. In 2019, faced a lot of difficulty, a lot of problems, a lot of tests. And when I started this year, in my mind, I had an idea of what I believe God wanted us to do with this theme. And the Lord has had to reshape my thought process. I still believe this is exactly what God wants us to do, but he had to reshape my thought process and help me understand what he truly wanted out of me. You know, I, I thought, you know, we had such a great 2018 and we had grown a lot and I thought, man, this is just going to be another explosion year. It hasn't necessarily been that, but that's okay. I really believe that God wanted us to be equipped to understand how to thrive in our Christian lives. Not saying this is going to be a thriving year for some. Some it might be a thriving year. Some it might be just to hold on, try to survive. That's okay. But the principles that we've learned over the past seven months and the principles that you will learn over the next five months are very important and very imperative in your life. And if you learn them and if you take, take to heart the truths that will be taught over the next several months and several series, I promise you, it will help you thrive in your Christian life. It might not happen today or tomorrow, but it will happen if you give your life to God and do exactly what he's called you to do. You know, I've realized that life doesn't always go according to plans, right? Anybody ever had your life go exactly how you wanted it to go? Probably not. Even when we think of, of years, I think of starting a new year, we have resolutions and we have goals in mind and, and we have things that we want to do and we have goals that we want to set out doing and accomplishing. And, and so often, at least in the case of my life, after two days, those goals are out the window, right? Uh, it, it drives me crazy many times, but I've realized that life doesn't go according to our plans, but God has a plan and he knows exactly what he is doing. And it's very important that we trust in his plan. Now, I, this, this has nothing to do with the message entirely, but I read a joke this week, and I just wanted to share, share it with you. It's kind of funny. Uh, after reading a book called Man of the House during his commute home from work, this enlightened husband stormed into the house to confront his wife. Any husband ever done that? I'm not going to look right there. Uh, but pointing his finger in her face, he said, from now on, I want you to know that I am the man of the house, and my word is law. Tonight, you're going to prepare me a gourmet meal and a sumptuous dessert. Then, when I'm done eating, you will draw me a bath so I can have a relaxing soak. And when I'm finished with my bath, guess who's going to dress me and comb my hair? The wife didn't miss a beat, and her response was this. My guess is the funeral director. <laughs> Again, it has nothing to do with the message, but I thought it was great. I've tried that on my wife, and it really didn't go according to my plans. So anyway, it does kind of go that we have plans for our lives and it doesn't go the way that we thought they should go. I want to start with a question this morning and maybe a little bit different question, but what is the most difficult test that you've ever had to take in your life? What is the most difficult test you've ever had to take in your life? Anybody want to share? Most difficult test. Some of you are like, it's my driving test or the test I'm about to take. What's the most difficult test you've ever had to take in your life? Anybody want to share? Nobody's had a difficult test. Bonnie. 
The bar exam. Very good. Yes, she's the lawyer, attorney. Yes, I'm sure that was difficult. I have no idea. I think you can do it online and, you know, right? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm sure that was difficult. David? Engineering electromagnetics. I have no clue what he just said, but I'm sure that was difficult as well. <laughs> Brother Allen. Air conditioned contract license. Yes. Uh, what else? What are some difficult tests, Mike? Chemical, biological, nuclear certification. I think he just made that up. Anyway, <laughs> I think that was in the army. <laughs> Sounds difficult. Yes. Securities exams. Securities exams. What else? What else? Difficult tests. Oh, we got some. World so, geography. world geography. That's easy, right? No, it's not. Yeah. It's not. Someone else? Carmen? My citizenship Your citizenship test? Very good. You passed, right? Okay. Just, I'm just making sure. I'm just making sure. Just making sure. What else? This is good. No one else wants to share? Okay. I think one of the most difficult tests that I've ever had to take is the one that I didn't study for. How many would agree with that? Uh, and the reason I say that is because, you know, when you don't study for a test, you're not prepared for the test. But when you study, even though it might be difficult, you're somewhat prepared. I know you might be scared and hesitant, and I started thinking about that in relationship to the tests that we go through in life and some of the tests that God puts us through. You know, we don't always, we're, we're not always, you know, studied and prepared and ready for the test that God gives us, are we? Because we're not expecting some of those tests to take place. And I started thinking about that in relationship to Abraham and Isaac. Now, this is a test in Abraham's life. As we read in verses one and two, God told Abraham that, I want you to sacrifice your child, your son, Isaac, who is the seed of promise. Abraham is supposed to be the father of a great nation, the father of the Israelite nation. It's through his son, Isaac. Now, he had another son through his handmaid, Hagar, but that was not the son, Ishmael. That was the seed of promise. So think about this. God had promised this seed. He gave Isaac, and now God is saying, I want you to sacrifice him. I want you to offer him on the altar. Now, quick background in the study of this, I think sometimes we think of Isaac as being a child. And I think we even depict that picture, even with our children's ministries and things like that. He wasn't a child. From all intents and purposes, in my own studies, I believe he was anywhere between age of 18 and 25 years old. And really, let's just put it out there, probably around 20 years old. So here's a young man. He knew exactly what's going on. Again, I think it's easy for us to think, oh, he's just a little kid. He doesn't know what's going on. He knows exactly what's going on. So have that in your mind as we continue on. You know, and I'm not trying to make light of this situation, but if I'm Abraham and if God is asking me to do this, I'd be thinking, well, you know what? I have another son from Hagar. Why don't I just offer him? <laughs> because he's not the seed of promise. So why don't I just offer him? But that's not what God wanted. God didn't want Ishmael. He wanted him to offer up Isaac. You know, you think about it, the things that God asks us to do sometimes are very, very difficult, are they not? There are certain things that he asks us to do that are harder than other things. Now, if, if it's one thing, okay, let, let's put it this way, try to, try to explain it. Let's say we have an attitude in our lives, and we know it's a bad attitude. We know we're struggling with that. If God asks us to give up that attitude, it's going to be a little easier for us to give up that attitude because we know it's wrong, Right? But this is different. It's not like Abraham has an attitude. It's not like he has a, a, a drug problem or anything like that. He's asking him to give up his son. It's a little bit more difficult than just giving up an attitude or an addiction or anything like that. When you read, when you read this story, it can almost come across as morbid. Why would God ask Abraham to specifically kill his son? Look, I, 
I don't believe that God ever wanted him to kill Isaac. And I'll present that as the message goes on. I truly believe that this was a test to see where Abraham's love was centered. You see, God is a jealous God, and he wants all of us. He wants all of our hearts, all of our minds, everything that we have. As I've said before, God doesn't want just prominence in our life. He wants, what? Preeminence. First place. And whenever we get into a tough test, much like this, the question in our hearts almost always is, why? You ever ask that question, why? I have many times, and I think of raising kids. You know, Nate, he's five years old. That's like his favorite question. Don't you love it when your kids ask that question? And you usually, you, you explain it, right, in great detail, and you tell them exactly the why. No, you probably do sometimes, but most of the time it's just like, because I said so. At least that's what I do with Nate. And, but usually that's not good enough. And he asks why and why, and what's the reason for that? And, and he can't just accept that maybe dad knows best or mom knows best. And, and I started thinking about that in relationship with us and God. Now, it, it's, it's okay to ask questions because questions lead to answers, but how often do we stay in that question-asking stage? God, I, I need an answer. I demand an answer for this. No, if God gave us an answer to every situation, every test, every trial, wouldn't it be easy to trust in him? Yeah, it would. Because we know exactly what was going on. Now, it, okay, let, let's put it this way. Uh, anyone ever struggled financially? Anybody at all? Now, wouldn't it be great if, okay, you're struggling financially, you knew that God had, had told you specifically, okay, this is a season in your life. Within two years, you're going to be doing phenomenal. Wouldn't it be easier to go through that two-year struggle? Yeah, of course it would. But that's not how it works. And even in this situation, it was a difficult thing because... I think Abraham had an idea of what was going to happen, but he didn't fully know because he didn't understand God's full purpose. And I think there are two things that often don't seem to match, and it's faith and reason. In fact, I think they're at odds with Abraham at this moment of life, and, and we don't necessarily know specifically, but I imagine myself in this situation, if God were to ask me something like that, I'd be struggling with it. I wouldn't just necessarily say, okay, God, take my son take everything, that's okay. I'd be struggling with the fact that, God, is this really what you want me to do? Reason tells us sometimes to, to hold on to things when God is asking us to give up things. And I'm sure even with Abraham, initially, maybe reason was telling him to hold on to his son because God had promised him Isaac and he deserved it, but faith is telling him to trust in the Lord. And during our greatest tests and trials in life, this is often the conflict. Reason doesn't always add up. It doesn't make sense. You know, there are some people here who are very deductive people. You like to know answers for a lot of things. They need to know everything about everything and exactly all the details before they decide anything. And sometimes that's good, but sometimes that's bad. Then there are others, if they trust the person, they don't need the answers. They don't need to know. They'll just go along with it. And sometimes those are the people that drive the reasoning person crazy. Don't you need to have the answers? No, I, I trust you. But there's something very important to understand about faith this morning. You see, faith is about trusting in what doesn't make sense and what doesn't always add up. In fact, faith doesn't always need the answers. It's simply trust in the one who has the answers. We need to understand that our greatest test, our greatest trial is God's greatest opportunity to show forth his strength and his power. And during life's great test, 
They're never so difficult when we can see a reason behind it. However, when something (laughs) happens to us, which we fail to see any logic, it's where our faith is put to the test. So in order to thrive, I want to give you a couple principles this morning from the life of Abraham, something that stands out to me. I want you to notice the first thing is this. When God asked him to do this, the first thing we see is Abraham's response. Look, all of us have a response to God, do we not? We have a response when God asks us to do something. And and Abraham's response is very astounding. It's very enlightening for us. I can't even imagine what must have been going through Abraham's mind as God spoke to him. But notice what happens. Look at verse number three. And when when Abraham arose early in the morning, so maybe he had a night to kind of think about this and dwell on this, I wouldn't have been getting much sleep if that happened. But Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass, his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and claved the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place which God had told him. The first thing I want you to understand about Abraham's response was this. His response was prompt. What I mean is he didn't just keep questioning God. He realized that God asked him to do something. So you know what? If God asked me to do something, he has to have a purpose for this. So I'm going to follow. I'm going to obey. I'm going to trust. And I'm tremendously impressed with Abraham's obedience here. And really, is not this the secret of life? We're so inclined to excuse ourselves from hard things and rationalize our way out of difficult situations, trying to relieve the pressure and avoid certain unpleasant situations. We don't like disturbing questions and unchallenging, unsettling uh, challenges in our lives. And when it comes down to it, we don't like to hold ourselves and say, all right, God, I'm going to trust you. Some people do. Most people don't. But when God asks you to do something, it's very important to obey. It's very important to trust. What we try to do, and I, I say this with surety because I've tried to do this many times in, our, in my life. When God asks me to do something, you know what I do? I try to bargain with God. I try to make a compromise with God. All right, God, how about we do this? I think this is a little bit better. You know, kind of like I mentioned earlier, how about I offer Ishmael? He's not the seed of promise, but we don't see Abraham doing that. So the first thing I noticed in his response is it was prompt. It was prompt. Second thing is this. It was complete. It said in verse number three, he clave into the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. You see, this is important because Abraham had all the necessary tools to do the job. He wasn't just saying, all right, let's all go up there and I'm not going to take anything with me. I believe God's going to see us through. No, no, he went expecting to do something. He had all the tools in place, the knife, the rope, the wood, the fire, everything in place to do what God had asked him to do. He went up prepared and ready to do what God asked him to do. Notice he didn't offer excuses of why he couldn't do it. And I've seen that too many times in my life where God has asked me to do something and instead of doing it, I offered excuses why I couldn't do it. Well, God, this is why I can't do it because of this situation, because of that situation. So we see his his response is prompt, it's complete. But notice as we continue on, look at verse number five. I believe it was personal. And Abraham said, and the young men abide ye here, and I and the lad, so he's talking about him and Isaac, will go yonder and worship and come again unto you. He says, I and the lad will go yonder and come again to you. 
what he's saying is, you know what? This isn't for all of us. This is between me, Isaac, and God. He also says, I will go yonder and worship. So not only was it personal, I'm kind of going through this quickly because I really want to focus at the end on the application, but it was also worshipful. He went to worship. Now you think about that. How would someone like Abraham, knowing that God has asked him to kill his son, want to go up and worship God when God is asking him to do something that seems to make no sense? He went to worship. Abraham was not bearing this like a great trial. He was determined to face this great trial and use it as a place of worship. And I was thinking about that this week. Do we often use the trials in our life as an opportunity to worship our God? Do we do that? Do we take life's greatest test and think, how can I worship God through this? And this really hit me this week. It'd be easy to say, well, the only reason he was preparing to worship was because he already knew the outcome. Not necessarily. He did know the outcome because he knew that whatever happened was part of God's will. It might have been the way that he intended. It might have been the way that he didn't intend. And I love uh, A.W. Tozer's quotes on worship. He had this to say one time. He said, worship is to feel in the heart and express in some appropriate manner a humbling but delightful sense of admiring all. Worship will humble a person as nothing else can do because there must be humility in the heart before there is worship. There must be humility. Humility is the opposite of pride, but how many of us are very prideful creatures? I know I am. I know I struggle with my own pride. But what I see here is not a prideful man. And I'm going against God. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. I see, okay, God, I don't understand this. You must have a reason for this. I'm going to try to make the best of this. So me and my son, we're going up to the mountain. We're going to worship you. Because everything in life should be directed at the praise and honor and glory of Jesus Christ. We were not placed on this earth for ourselves, and I've said this many times throughout this year. We were not placed on this, light, or on this earth for ourselves. We were placed for him to declare his glory, to realize that this life is not about us, but it's all about him. Tozer also said this about worship, and this was good. Christians don't tell lies. They just go to church and sing about them. Think about that. Think of the songs that we sing, whether it's in your hymnal or whether it's a, you know, a chorus, a good, good song that we sing, a praise and worshipful song. How many of us truly live those songs? And I'm guilty of this as well. I'm guilty of sitting in a pew and singing songs that I have no intent of actually living out. You say, well, I can't believe you'd say that. Well, I've been there, and I'm sure if I've been there, I'm sure you've been there. Praise the name. Of, oh, I'm not going to praise God forever for everything, if, especially if you were to ask me to, to kill my son. I'm not going to praise him. Then why am I singing something? Why am I even in church if I don't truly believe God is in control of everything? If I don't believe in his sovereign, his perfect will for my life? Stephen Chapel, he's a pastor out in California, he said, if you want to lead people in service, then lead them to worship. And that's important, and that's one thing we're trying to do here at Eagle Drive is I want people to have a heart for service, but more importantly, I want them to understand what worship is, what true worship is. And here we have Abraham using this test 
as an opportunity to worship. That's powerful. Let's continue on. Not only was this worshipful, but I believe it was confident. His, his response was confident. Look at verse number, number five. It's in your notes, these verses. It says, I will come again to you. He was expecting to come back. Verse number eight, my son, God will, what? Provide himself a lamb. He was confident that God would do something victoriously, mightily, powerfully. Verse number nine, and they came to the place which God had told him of. He didn't go to another place. He did exactly what God told him to do. Verse number 10, Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. So his son is laying on the altar, bound up with ropes, bound up there. He's got the fire. He's got the wood. Everything is around him. And, he, and I, I can just picture this in my mind as he, as he takes that knife and he's ready to kill his son. I believe he was expecting to kill his son. But I also believe that he was expecting for God to raise up his son. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11, though. I'll show you why I believe that. We get to know a little bit of Abraham's heart in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19. The Bible says, By faith Abraham, when he was tried, and this means tested, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promise offered up his only begotten son, Great picture of God offering up his only begotten son, right? Of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Now, verse number 19, this is very important. Accounting, this is kind of a mathematical term. He's counting up. He's adding up the value here. Accounting that God was able to raise him up. So I firmly believe that Abraham was going to kill his son, but I also believe firmly that Abraham believed that God would raise him up. Because here, God had already promised that he's the seed of promise, so God wouldn't promise something just to take it back. That's not who God is. Now, I've promised things in my life, and sadly, I've never really intended to keep those promises. But when God promises something, his promises do not return void. We know that from Scripture. So I firmly believe that Abraham was expecting to kill his son. Now, think about that. Expecting to kill your child. But knowing in your heart that God would raise him up. That's a confident faith, is it not? One thing I noticed with so many characters in the Bible is that they had an expectation that God would show up. And that's important. Do we have an expectation that God is going to show up in our lives? Do we have an expectation that when God puts us through a test, a trial, a difficulty, that he is going to show up in our lives and in our midst? Sadly, there's a lot of times in my life where I honestly don't have an expectation that God's going to show up. I don't know how he's going to show up. I know he showed up in the past, but I don't know how he's going to show up in this situation because this situation is too difficult. It's impossible. But Abraham had a full confidence, a full expectation that God was going to show up in his life. If I offer up Isaac, God has to keep his promises. He has to raise him up from the dead. And here's an important principle that Abraham learned that we need to learn as well. If God gave it, I can trust him with it. If God gave it, I can trust him with it. Now think about your own family. And again, God typically doesn't do this to us, ask us to offer up our children. 
But if God gave you something, do you truly trust him with it? Because it's really not yours to begin with, is it? It's his. Look at verse number nine back in Genesis chapter 22. And when they came to the place which God had told him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound up Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Again, he believed that God would deliver his son back to him. But more importantly, he knew that there was too much at stake if he chose to do what he wanted to do instead of what God asked him to do. And here's the truth. Here's the principle here. Abraham could have chosen anything else, couldn't he have? He could have chosen to do what he wanted to do. But what did he choose? Obedience. And that's key. He chose to obey. Believing God would do something, but not fully knowing if God would do something. Verse number 10. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. There was no negotiating with God. Well, God, I think you should do this. I never see Abraham telling God why he couldn't do this. And I can't imagine how difficult this must have been for him. It doesn't matter how spiritual you may be. Many of us have lost loved ones in this room, but most of you probably didn't have to lose them by sacrificing them. So we see Abraham's response, and that's very important. It was confident, it was worshipful, personal, complete. It was prompt. But notice verse number 11. The story starts to change. What I see here is God's provision of grace. You see, Abraham's faith was put to the test, and something important happened. He passed it. God's provision of grace, the next point there. Verse number 11, and the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. Verse 12, and he said, lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know, excuse me, that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, (coughs) excuse me, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and, and looked and behold, Behind him, a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went up and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead, or instead, or in place of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah-Jireh, the Mount of the Lord, which means the Lord will provide or God our provider, as it is said to this day, in the Mount of the Lord it shall be seen. The angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven a second time and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore. He was going to get a phenomenal blessing out of this. And thy seed shall possess the gate of thy enemies, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because thou hast obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned unto his young men and rose up and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. I want you to all understand something very important about faith. Faith is not believing in spite of the evidence. 
You see, if we have evidence, then that's not truly faith. That's superstition. And I think we have this in your notes. Faith is not believing because of the evidence. Faith is obeying God despite the consequences. Understanding that there may be consequences to our faith. It's hard to obey God until you know God. In order to know God, you must hear God. And even when God gives you a command that seems like there's no way that it's going to come out victorious, I guarantee you that God always wins. You see, church, there's only one substitute for obedience. You know what it is? Disobedience. But how often in our lives do we excuse ourselves from obeying? Do we rationalize why we can't obey? When God has given us a command, a clear command in his word, when the preacher stands up here and says, thus saith the Lord, this is what God wants us to do. It's not for me. What we're doing is choosing to disobey. And here's what God is offering to Abraham as we read those verses. He's offering him his grace. God is basically telling Abraham in these verses, since you have kept everything, or since you haven't kept anything from me, I'm not going to keep anything from you. And I think about this. In relationship to life's greatest test, we need to understand that the season that you might wish away is often the season you get the most from. Look, who doesn't want to thrive in your Christian life? I think all of us want to thrive. All of us want to flourish. All of us want to to be blessed in our Christian lives. But sometimes in order to thrive, we have to pass life's greatest test. And I think this is an important principle from this lesson today. And I want to close as I wrap up with this point. What is life's greatest test? According to this passage, if you love it, let it go. If you love it, let it go. I'm not saying you have to let go of your family and all that. But do they belong to you in the first place? No. Whose are they? They're God's. And I've seen many parents being in the ministry for a number of years and growing up in the ministry, especially as a youth pastor. You know, we go to youth camp and kids we go on fire for God and come back and make a decision. I really want to give my life to God and Parents wouldn't necessarily deter that, but you don't want to do that. You're not going to make any money on that. That's not what God wants you to do. Well, it's really the parents aren't willing to let their child go. I don't want them to go to a mission field. They might die. But if that's exactly what God wants them to do, shouldn't they go? They should. So if you love it, it's important to let it go. I want you to listen to what I'm about to say because it's imperative to this message. On this day, in particular, God didn't want Isaac. That's not why he asked Abraham to sacrifice his son. It wasn't about Isaac. God wanted Abraham. He wanted all of Abraham. He wanted all that he was, all that he had. And you know what? He got it. (laughs) There's a man that once told a missionary, I would give anything. I would give the world to have the joy that you have. And the missionary said, That's just what it cost me. I would give the world. Would you? Would you give the world? 
Abraham said, Lord, if you want it, you can have it. And God says, it's really you that I want, Abraham. I said this earlier, but the people in the Bible often had an expectancy that God would show up. Do we have an expectancy that God is going to show up in our lives? When we're going through the tests, the trials, let me ask this question. You only have to answer it in your heart. But what is your response to God when he asks you something? Is it prompt? Is it complete? Is it worshipful? Is it all those things that we listed? Look at verse number 14 again. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh. Jehovah-Jireh means the Lord will provide, or it means this, God our provider. I want you to think about this. I'm almost done, but this, <laughs> this blew me away yesterday as I was finishing up the message and kind of reviewing some things. I was in my office, and I just, as I got to this point, I, I was just so overwhelmed with emotion, overcome with emotion that I, I just I started breaking down and crying in my office. And I started thinking about this. It's as if this happened. Because Abraham had said to Isaac that, you know, God will provide. He'll provide himself a lamb. And provide basically means to see ahead. You see, God sees ahead. He knows exactly what's going to happen before it happens. We can't always see that. But here's kind of what stood out to me. It's as if when Abraham was going up the mountain with his son, on the other side of the mountain, God sent that lamb at the same time. And that thought just blew me away. And I'm not saying that happened, but in a sense, that's as if what happened because God's provision means that God sees ahead. He's going to provide. So as Abraham's going up on one side, as he's trusting God, not knowing what's going to happen on the other side, this ram is coming up. And I started thinking of my own life, my own situation, my own trials, my own tests. How many times have I gone up the mountain? Have I gone up the, the journey? And I don't know what's going to happen. But at the same time, God is sending something else on the other side. He's sending his provision for me. Look, it may not be the way that we think he should provide. But God always provides and he always blesses our obedience. You know, this past year, we've been trying to look at what it means to thrive in our Christian life. I said at the beginning of the year that God wants us to be fat and flourishing, and I firmly believe that, that God wants us to flourish in our Christian life. And to be honest, life doesn't always go according to plans, and the first seven months for some have been very difficult, and I've even heard some that just saying, man, I wish 2019 would just end. And I get that because I've been there, but at the same time, it's sometimes during those seasons that we wish away that we get the most from. Because it's during those seasons where God is trying to purify us, to purge us, to prune us, to get us into who he wants us to be for the future. And maybe 2019 is a year that you just wish away. But I want to encourage you for the next five months to just hold on. Because God wants to equip you. He wants you to understand what it means to thrive. And one important lesson that I've learned this year is that in order to thrive, it takes patience. Anybody patient here? We have some people that probably are. 
Most of us, like myself, are not. I am very impatient. I've said it many times. I'm patient when I want to be patient, but most of the time I'm not very patient. That's the truth. I'm not a very patient person. But in order to thrive, it takes patience because in my mind, I'm like, God, this needs to happen right now. I've been trusting you all along. God says, wait, I'll provide in my time when I think it's best. But God, you need to provide right now. That's not what's best for you. It takes patience. It takes time. It takes cultivating. It takes nurturing. And I've also realized that in order to thrive, it takes pain. I'm going to read something as I close the message this morning. I've referenced it before. I'm very thankful for my wife and for the insight that God gives her. I think she's a phenomenal speaker. She's never prepared one of my messages, but she's helped with applications and illustrations before. But she had written a blog back at the end of May. I just basically gotten out of the hospital. I, just, I don't want to read it this morning. She said, 2019 started for me with one word, and the word was contentment. 2018 found me very shoppy. <laughs> and even if that's not a word, it would be defined as this. One who buys something just because she is bored. It's been a great theme, but I have found myself adding to this word, this word contentment. And she said, contentment can be dangerous. Contentment in some areas, if taken too far, can lead to complacency. Eagle Drive Baptist Church, this is where my husband pastors, has a word for 2019 as well, and the word is thrive. Great word, right? Well, I thought so too until I realized just what it takes to achieve this word. The main focus of this theme is to encourage us to step out of survival mode in our Christian life and enter into a lifestyle of growth beyond what we could ever imagine. I have taken this word to heart and asked God to use it in my life, but how he was gone about using it was not the way I expected. My whole view on this word thrive has changed. Nate, our five-year-old now, and I have decided that this summer we would plant a garden. It's been such a learning experience for me on so many levels, but the spiritual lessons and applications that have been taught through this process have been incredible. One evening, we were watering the plants, and the water hit them. They had the appearance of being weak and wilted. They started freaking out. Mom, the plants are dead. I proceeded to explain to him that the water had just made them heavy, and they were still indeed alive. We walked on to the next section of the garden and continued our nightly routine Fast forward the next couple of evenings, and there we were again preparing to water the garden. Nate checked to see how everything was progressing, and he exclaimed, Mom, look, you're right. The plant is still alive. I looked, and sure enough, it was standing tall, basking in the leftover sunlight of the day. And God took that moment to teach me a lesson that I so greatly needed in my life. In order to thrive, there has to be the rain. As I pondered on this little thought, that came to my mind, I realized the depth of this meaning. The day before, the plant had looked pitiful as the water caused it to lay flat on the ground. And in my eyes, and in the eyes of my child, the plant looked absolutely hopeless. There wasn't a chance in the world for it to ever survive, but water eventually stopped hitting its leaves. And when the sun came out the next day, the little plant did exactly what it was created to do. It reached for the sun. If I'm being honest, 2019 has been a very rainy year, figuratively speaking. The plans that I set out to accomplish haven't necessarily happened, and I look like that little plant 
as the water pours down. I feel like I'm beaten down to the ground. The water is heavy. And there have been some days and weeks where I've felt almost like I've been drowning, and it's only May. I asked God to help me thrive, and he made it rain. That wasn't what I was expecting at all. I figured great and amazing things were in store. I expected monumental victories and mountaintop experiences, but instead I'm laying in a puddle of mud. And to me, I look like as if there's no chance of recovering. I should just throw in the towel and all of my goals and plans that I set out to do this year and coast through. That's been my thought over the past few weeks as I've watched my husband battle through meningitis. I sat in the hospital with him and watched this horrible virus weaken his body and cause him such horrible pain that he literally could not function. I had to go home exhausted and put on a happy face for my boys and tell them daddy is okay and will home, be home soon. I felt like I was drowning. But do you know what I have learned? I was merely being watered. The rain has stopped for now and it's time for me to do what I was created to do reach for the sun. It's time for me to lift my hands in praise. It's time for me to bask in the heavenly love of my heavenly father. Growth is a process. It takes rain. It takes sunshine for a plant to grow. And you better believe I can apply this to the spiritual life as well. The steps for me to thrive seem to be taking me through the moon monsoon season right now. But I know it's not forever. I am realizing that growth in Christ requires this. It may have been a rainy season for you too, and I pray that you don't give up. The rain will stop, the sun will shine again. You were created to bring God glory, and it takes the weak moments to show us just how strong and good our Heavenly Father is. And I added my own part, as I've said at the beginning of this year, you were made for more. You were made to thrive. In order to thrive, we need the rain. We need the pain. Because we were truly made for more. And I think of Abraham's life. And then I'll close with this thought. The answer to life's greatest test, two things, expecting God to show up and understanding that God will provide. But do you believe it, church? The answer to life's greatest test is not you doing what you want to do. It's expecting God to show up and understanding that God will provide. When Abraham walked up that mountain with his son, I'm sure his, his son was asking all kinds of questions, but I love verse number eight. He said in him, my son, God will provide himself a lamb. Church, it doesn't matter what you're going through, what you've gone through. I know many of you have wished this year away, but I promise you that God will provide if you stay faithful to him. This isn't a prosperity gospel, but God will provide because he has promised to provide. He has promised to bless when we stay faithful to him. And I know many of you feel like giving up. I've been there, but don't give up. Don't give in because if you give in, if you give up, you're only letting Satan have the victory. There's been many people over the three and a half years of ministry here that I've seen that have thrown in the towel, that have given up in my 35 years of existence, growing up in a pastor's home for 31 of those years. I've seen people give up when the rain came and it pounded on them and it felt like they were in a monsoon season, but we need the rain because it causes us to reach for the sun. And that's what God wants you to do this morning. And that's what God wants you to do, especially over the next five months as we close out this year 
And in order to understand life's greatest answer to the great tests and trials of this life, we need to expect God to show up and believe that he will provide. Because I believe that as Abraham was walking up, that ram was on the other side. That's what God does for us. So stay faithful to him. Stay faithful to his word. We're going to close in prayer in just a minute. And I want to challenge us as a church to come forward this morning and pray and ask God to help me expect you to show up in my life. Help me to understand that you will provide. And I know that this season is difficult. I know this season is wearisome. I know it feels like the rain just keeps beating down. Maybe it's not a season for you, but pray for someone else that's going through that.